over for any of you who remember Joey Rozak, um, and he fled. He fled the country about four years ago and handed the keys to me and said, Brother James, it's all yours in the way that Joey does these things. Um, I'm here with my wife, Chelsea, who's here uh, in the front row. We managed, by the grace of God, to get married the day after lockdown last year. So God is good. Amen? So let's look at this passage in Luke chapter 20. I'm going to start my clock. Pastor's clock. Here we go. Okay. Um, first of all, it's quite a brave thing to go through Luke's gospel. It's such a, a large gospel. It's such a, a powerful and in-depth piece of work. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 20, where Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. Jesus, as you remember, said in chapter 951, it's a long while ago for you guys, I'm sure, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And now he has arrived. And on three separate occasions, Jesus entered the city in so-called a triumphal entry. He never spent a night there. In the passage that you heard last Sunday, he wept over the city. Jesus was a prophet. We must remember, we say the Son of God is Messiah and King and everything else, but he's also a prophet. And he could foresee what was going to happen to Jerusalem. And indeed, it came to pass in AD 70. And we know what happened there in the destruction. He also cleansed the temple for a second time. And he gives the reason why, doesn't he? Because you have made it a den of thieves. But it's supposed to be a house of prayer. And once again, Jesus encounters the religious rulers. The people are far too fond of Jesus to make an arrest on him in front of everybody out in the open. So, a series of questions are put before him. Questions about the authority by which he speaks. Questions about paying taxes to Caesar. And questions about the resurrection. And we'll be seeing as we go through this passage, Jesus himself, we've got a few questions for them as well. So today's message is entitled, A Question of Authority. A Question of Authority. Now I want to look at a definition. Because it's very important that we define words, especially in these days. Now authority simply means this. The power or right to give orders to make decisions and enforce obedience. And it's from this word, authority, where we get the word author and where we get the word authentic. For us who want to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ, we must know what the author actually has to say. So I want to cast your minds back. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Because Luke, we want to know what authority Luke is speaking in. Just want to remind you, I'm sure John covered this, but you're so far down the line. I just want to cast your minds back to Luke chapter 1. Verse 1. Luke is writing to Theophilus. He says, Much as many have taken to hand to set in order a narrative of things which must be fulfilled among us. Just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, 
delivered them to us. And this is what he says. Verse 3 is the key verse. It seems good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Why? Why does he need this orderly account? That you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Now this word here, the very first. I knew this from the very first. It's one Greek word, and it's the word anothen. And it means from above. Remember Jesus with Nicodemus says, you must be born again. It means you must be born from above. So Luke is saying, I have perfect understanding of what I'm writing by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the functions and ministries of the Holy Spirit to remind believers of all the things that I taught you. So whenever you're evangelizing and a word comes to you, a verse, and it's just perfectly in time, you can't take the credit for it, I'm afraid. That's the Holy Spirit doing his job and he's hitting it right on the now. This is the word from you. So Luke is saying he is writing a word that is inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit. Now today we're going to have to break down six um, sections. This is how it is. We can pop that up on the board as well, please. Jesus' authority is questioned. We have the parable of the wicked vine dressers, the Pharisees about paying taxes to Caesar, the Sadducees about the resurrection, King David calling his descendant Lord, and Jesus giving a warning, beware of the scribes. So before we get into this text this morning, we've got to do the right thing. We've got to pray. Okay? So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that as saints, we can gather today, Lord. And we gather together by your Spirit and through your Word. Speak to us through these pages, Lord. Illuminate these pages, Lord. And bring to remembrance through the Holy Spirit all things that connect to this. Lord, of all the things which have been happening through the week, all the busyness, all the distractions, Lord, we put at the foot of the cross. And Lord, we want to hear from you this morning. We want to hear what the Spirit is saying to his church at this time. And Lord, we ask this believing in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So let's go from verse 1. It says, Now it happened that on those days he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priests and scribes together with the elders confronted him. And spoke to him, saying, Tell us, by what authority are you doing those things? Or, who is he who gave you this authority? Who is it who's given you the authority to speak in this way? Now, I want you to note one thing. Jesus is preaching the gospel. And this is pre-crucifixion, um, death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is preaching, essentially, the same message as John the Baptist which is always, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's important that we speak when we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, about Christ dying for sin and everything else, that we speak about the kingdom. It seems like in many churches that I go and visit, the whole understanding of the main crux of Jesus' teaching on earth 
about the kingdom has been truncated. It's like an elephant with the trunk cut off. The kingdom of God is one of authority and power where we can come back under the authority of the Father and the Father's willing to take on the authority and rule over to those who submit to him. Now remember there was a delegation sent to John the Baptist. We're talking about authority here. Now I'm sure there was plenty, like Rory and I, beardy men out in Jerusalem. And there he is out in the wilderness preaching with his long hair, eating locust burgers and wild honey. The reason why they went to someone like John the Baptist, and I'm sure there's plenty of hairy prophets around at the time, is because they knew he was a man of authority. Zacharias was his father, and he was a Levite priest. They know he's from a lineage of a Levite. They know he's a Levite. So that's why this delegation come to him. And he confessed, as we know, I'm not the Christ. Who are you? Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Now Jesus answered. This is what he said, verse 3. He said to him, I will ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? We need to learn from Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let's not always be on the defense, but always ask questions. Sometimes, why are you asking that question? Why are you asking the things you're asking? Now, Jesus is asking this for one clear reason. If they give a right answer to the question about John's baptism, they will understand the answer to their own question by what authority does Jesus speak? Because John testified about Jesus. So if you can understand who John is, you will understand quite simply who Jesus is. So it's a perfect question from the Lord. Now this is what happened, verse 5. So they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven... He will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us. For they are persuaded that John was a prophet. What a catch. 22 dilemma for these people. If they say John the Baptist was a heavenly baptism, then it makes everything about Jesus that John said was true that Jesus was eternal, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And not only that, it's him who will baptize those in the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was from men. If they were to repeat this, then essentially they're saying he's a false prophet. And their concern is being stoned by the people. But this is what they believed. They want to keep the authority to themselves. They believed that John was a false prophet. And do you know what? It's kind of an odd thing if we consider this. That they were willing to let people continue to follow a false prophet. Now, myself, I'm somebody who's lived in the Middle East. And it may even relate to some of you, where people were happy for you to follow Jesus, although they think Jesus was false. Don't you find that odd? But, well, it's good for you that you found Jesus. But for me, not really. But if you want to follow something completely false and untrue, go for it. <laughs> now, I lived in Jerusalem. I worked mainly amongst Jewish people. And can I just say, it's growing. The faith in Jesus, Yeshua, HaMashiach, is growing amongst the Jewish people. Praise God. It's a sign of end times, isn't it? 
and it's a reality. They were there on the ground. But to some other religious Jews, used to say to me as a Gentile, as a Goy, if you want to follow Jesus, it's absolutely fine. I said, but you think it's false, and you happen for me to follow a false Messiah? Jesus is using all of these techniques. He's the one we should learn from. Amen? Now, this is the response from the educated. Here's a response from those in authority. This is the response for those with a colossal big head of information and knowledge. This is their response to Jesus. We don't know where John's baptism was from. Jesus said to him, verse 8, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. See, he, he, Jesus knows that their question is insincere. It's not real. They're just trying to catch him out. You can't catch Jesus out. If we remember in John chapter 2, at the Passover, many believed in Jesus because of the signs which he did. Many believed in him. But it says this. Now listen to this carefully. Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. Now it was said in the prayer this morning, must I add, a wonderful prayer, that we tend to look on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. You have to get your heart right before the Lord because he's so willing to commit to us and he's faithful to complete that in which he started, that work in you, that work that started, he is faithful to do that. You can't do it. Where Paul writes, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, you need to work Rory out of Rory. He needs to do that. James out of James. We need to work ourselves and the Lord will do the rest. But keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Now let's have a look at the authority in which Jesus spoke. John chapter 12, please. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 49. This is Jesus speaking about himself. Because the authority that we appeal to as believers is always the Scriptures. That the Scriptures interpret the Scriptures. John chapter 12, 49. This is Jesus telling you, telling us what authority he speaks in. He says this, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. The answer to the question of why do you do those things and what authority do you do them? It's the same authority as John the Baptist. It's the authority which is from above. Jesus says in John 8, 29, I always do those things that please him. It's a challenge to us as believers. But if we can get a heart right before God and submit to him, our desires will change. And we always desire to do the things that please him. If you can cast your mind back to when you were a non-believer and how much you have changed. I'm sure you can remember. I mean, I had long hair. Oh, really? I've got no problem with long hair, bro. 
<laughs> I was really causing a rock band, and I smashed up my guitar. Oh, what a fool. And I was really cool amongst the people. Then I was really cool. I shaved my head and I became a full-time martial artist. And I kicked people in the head. And I was really cool. And then I'd done something really weird. I started to read the Bible. <laughs> and everyone come concerned. And I've got two older brothers, Nicholas and Mark. Your brother's gone strange. We're concerned about James. What's he doing? He's reading the Bible. And he's telling people about it. The authority by which we speak by is from above. And the Lord wants to continue to do that work when we submit to him. Amen? Now let's have a look at this parable of the wicked vine dressers. We're going to read from verse 9 through 15. It says, Then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, Leased it to vine dressers, went into a far country for a long time. Now, at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he may give him some of the fruit from the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. And again, he sent a third time, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. (laughs) Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, this is the heir, come. Let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Amen. Look, here's the interpretation. I could be wrong, but my heart's right. (laughs) That's big interpretation, James. Now, the certain man is who? The vineyard is Israel. The vine dressers are the Jews, the servants, it's always the prophets, and the heir is Jesus. Now, God had given Israel leaders a certain amount of authority. Well, this is true, but all authority comes with responsibility. They were responsible for cultivating, caring, and tending his people. His sheep, that was the responsibility that was given, which they were not doing. Take a note for Ezekiel 34, and you'll read there about the wicked shepherds. Now, God sent prophets. The reason for sending prophets, not only to remind, but to correct and to warn. And then eventually, God's mercy, he sent his beloved son. He ate and they killed him. And the reason why is because they'd forgotten about the certain man. And I could say this, for much of churchianity in the world today, they have forgotten about a certain man. They've forgotten about God. They're very busy doing church, 
but they're not busy thinking and considering God. And considering that the heir will return. Let's have a look in verse 16. This is what happens when he returns. He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. <laughs> Who are the others? Very good. It's us. It's the Gentiles. Now, I'm not about replacement theology, but they understood what Jesus said, and he said it earlier in Luke chapter 4, at the beginning of his ministry in Nazareth. Jesus said the same thing. They rejected him when he declared amongst the people that he is the chosen Messiah. And he reminded them back to Elijah and back to Elisha, when they were rejected, they went to the Gentiles. They healed the, the widow in Sidon. And Naaman, remember? The Syrian. These people were healed because Jesus was rejected. And when he had said that thing in Luke chapter 4, they wanted to get him and throw him off the big cliff, remember? And Jesus just repeating himself again here. Let's have a look in 17. Then he looked. And he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on the stone will be broken. Has anyone fallen on Jesus? Has Jesus broken any of us? Certainly me. But on whomever he falls, or it falls, it will be grind him to powder. Total destruction for those who are not right with Christ. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him. So he's quite right, isn't he? He's <laughs> just doing exactly, they're responding exactly what he said. But they feared the people once again, for they knew he had spoken this parable against him. They didn't consider his words. As we've seen throughout the ages, unsubmitted authority or power always corrupts. We've seen it through the ages. All authority must be given and must be subject to the one who gave it. And for us as believers, if we're not walking in the authority that Christ has given us, we're like one who has none. We've been given responsibility and authority and we are to walk in it for his glory. So Jesus deals with them. And now comes the next slide. Like they're queuing up, aren't they, to meet him. We get the Pharisees. Let's have a look in verse 20. We're going to read through 25. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous, that they might seize on his words, in order that they may deliver him to the power of, and the authority of the governor. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly. It always begins with flattery, doesn't it? A little bit of flattery. And you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. 
Here comes the question. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he, Jesus, perceived their craftiness and said to him, why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Whose images and inscriptions does it have? They answered and said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things which are Caesar's and to God the things which are God's. You see essentially what they're trying to do. They're trying to do a Jesus on Jesus. They're trying to catch 22 scenario and situation on him. You see, if Jesus was to say yes to the common folk, Jesus will look like a weak Messiah and that is submitting to Caesar, where the rally cry of the day was, no taxes to Caesar, let's pay no tribute to Rome. But if Jesus was to say no, then he's going to look like a zealot prophet and therefore they shall come and arrest him. So they put them in this situation. Has this ever happened to you as a Christian? Where maybe you're in a scenario, maybe at college, or you may be in a workplace where someone's asked you your view on a particular thing in front of particular people. Ever happened to you? Always speak the truth. But as we heard in the prayer, the truth but in love. Let's always be honest and learn from Jesus by answering a question with a question. Look at the response. They could not catch him in his words and and the presence of the people and they marveled at his answer and kept silent. You see... The Romans maintained law. Admittedly, it was their law. They kept the roads open. They made coins. They kept the paths of the seas open so it could trade. They kept roads open. A certain amount of protection amongst the Jewish people. So Jesus is essentially saying, pay the man. Pay them. They're doing their work. Fine. Pay them. But he's also saying, God provides the elements from which the roads and coins are made. Don't forget that he also provides the light. He also provides the water. And the other thing which is needed, air. God provides absolutely everything. And we have, as believers, an earthly responsibility, again, in this morning's prayer, about pray for those in leadership. Pray for the royal family, whether you like them or not. Pray for Boris Johnson, not just to get a haircut, but for Boris Johnson to have a visitation. I pray for Boris Johnson to not sleep, actually. You know? It's a bit like Pilate's wife, where she's waking him up saying, don't have anything to do with Jesus. That's what I pray for Boris Johnson. I do that quite a lot, that he can't sleep, and that some Christians will continue to bug him to make him consider who Christ is. I think that's a biblical prayer. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, all authority is given from where? all given from anothen, it's given from above. You know that when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate was saying to him, do you realize I have the power to have you crucified? Jesus said, you'd have no power over me unless it was given from above. I'm sure Pontius Pilate felt the big man, 
Let me consider one thing. Let us consider one thing. There's going to be a day, and all of you are going to be there, where Pontius Pilate has to stand before Jesus and give an account. That will be an interesting day. I look forward to that day. Ultimately, of all things going on in earth, and all the powers and authorities that have happened, we ought to obey God rather than men. Is that right? That's what the apostles said when they stood before the Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Take a note. We ought to obey God rather than men. Let me just say this. Resolve that in your hearts today. Maybe not if the time comes, but when that time comes, that you will obey God rather than man. I believe there could be in our lifetime a situation for any one of us where that call will come. And choose this day whom you're going to serve. Because today is the day of salvation. And it's not just for us to consider. For, throughout the whole world, Christians daily will have to face that. And they do face that. Will you obey God rather than man? So the Pharisees are now at the way. Next in line are the Sadducees talking about the resurrection. Let's have a look. Verse 27. We can read through 33. I'm glad John gave me a small passage. Then some of the Sadducees, who deny that there is a resurrection, has anyone heard the joke about the Sadducees? That's why they're Sadducees? Is that mentioned every time the Sadducees are mentioned? It's a good way to remember. Came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Men, pay attention. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children. And the second took her as wife, and he died childless. Then the third took her, and in like manner the seven also. And they left no children and died. First thing, don't marry this woman. <laughs> Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as a wife. Now look, let's get a bit of theology. If the Sadducees were your liberal theologians, they did not believe in the resurrection. They believe just in the Torah, the first five books of Moses. And then we have the Pharisees, who were conservative in theology. They're all from Cambridge and Oxford. And they believed in the resurrection because they know right. They are right. So they believed in the resurrection. But they believed in the Tanakh. They believed in the whole of the Bible. That's something for us, isn't it? That we must believe it all and take it as a package. This is the Sadducees' mindset. For them, it was an impossible question to answer. Then the resurrection was an impossible question to answer also. Again, a bit of a catch-22. But they failed, as Jesus points out, to realize that the life to come is very different to this life. Let's have a look. Let's read from verse 34. Now Jesus answered and said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in 
marriage. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Nor can they die any more, for they're equal to angels. I liked reading that when I read that yesterday. And the sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Now Jesus goes on. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage from the dead that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's a good question to ask, you see, by what authority do you speak? Because Jesus is appealing to the authority of what they believe. He didn't go to the books that they didn't believe. He's appealing to what they believe. And it's important for us, I believe, that's a lot of believing, that when we ask people questions about life, um, and people quote other books, don't they? Well, I read this book that the Bible's changed. Or I read this book that Jesus was a Buddhist. Or I read this book that such a, by so-and-so. Always ask those people, who wrote that book? And ask me about the author. It's very important that we know about the author, what books people read. And it's very important that we know the author of this book. Not just about the author, but the author. Who here has heard of Richard Wormbrand? Okay. Richard Wormbrand was a Jewish believer in Jesus, was banged up in a communist prison for 14 years. He became a pastor, and he was locked up for his faith in Jesus. And he said this, quite astonishing, but quite profound at the same time. He said, knowing Psalm 23 didn't help me in prison. But knowing the author of Psalm 23 is what got me through. There's a difference there, isn't there? Let's have a look how Jesus finished. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore. Now Jesus has a few questions. Let's have a look. The Q&A session is over. It's now Jesus' time. Let's read this little passage here. Verse 41. He said to them, How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Now what is Jesus teaching here? Now he's clearly ascribing the messianic psalm to King David. But how could David in Psalm 110 call his own descendant Lord? The only way he can be Lord is to be more than David's son. What Jesus is saying is, that's me in that son. I'm the Messiah. 
I am the Son of God. I am he of whom David speaks about. I believe that Jesus here, it's a wonderful passage to study, is talking about the virgin birth. That he must have been born of a virgin to be the Son of God. And Jesus is equating all things to him. And you will see when you go on, when you get into Luke uh, 23 and 24, Jesus takes it a step further and says, the books of Moses are about me. The prophets are about me. You will find them in there. You will find me in there. All of the Psalms, they're all about me. This is a book testifying to who I am and what I will do. See, Jesus says, the reason why you can't catch me out is because I am the authority. I am the author. I am. Is why you can't catch me out. And then we have this final warning. Here we go. Can't believe I've done this in 36 minutes. Check that out, John. <laughs> I ain't finished yet. Okay. <laughs> Verse 45. Let's have a look here. Then in the hearing of all the people, sometimes it's good to sit in front of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, who love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogue and the best places at the feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense, make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. And I believe what Jesus is talking about here is the visible church. If Jesus was here today, be careful of the visible church, the ones who like to wear long robes and garments, the ones who says, hello, we're the church. Those ones, Jesus is saying, beware of them. In the big robes and the fancy colors, he said, be careful of those ones who love to be called rabbi, right reverend, right, right reverend, right, 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 right reverend, his gracious reverend. Beware of those ones who make long prayers but with no depth. Beware of those people. I lived in Jerusalem. No one in long robes ever stopped me and told me about Jesus. Can you believe that? I'm not saying there aren't believers in those denominations. It's not what I'm saying. But they prefer people to speak to them than for them to speak about Jesus. It's always the crazy ones that speak about Jesus. And people tend to ask me, are you one of the happy, clappy Christians? <laughs> of which I say, yes. I am a happy, clappy Christian. I do a checklist in front of me. I'm happy and I clap. That's me. <laughs> and born again isn't a denomination. It's a command. Jesus said, you must be born again from above. I am a happy clappy and I'm happy about it Christian. But Jesus is saying, beware of these people. These are the ones who are not going to tell you the truth. They're not leading you on my path, but they're leading you in a way of destruction. And I have to say, time and time again, the more I see in the visible church, the more dangerous it's becoming. Be happy to be a happy, clappy Christian. Be happy to follow Jesus and know and hold on to the truth because he is the way who's going to lead us in paths of righteousness. Amen? He leads us by the still waters. It's him 
who our focus is on. You know, we need to continue to pray for those happy, clappy Christians around the world. Because at the moment, we've got it very good, where others have not got it so good. But I'm so glad there are Christians around the world sold out for Jesus, and they will not be moved. And the Spirit of God is working in them. You see, over time, especially during the lockdown, there's been a huge sifting taking place. Is that true? Church is somewhat dangerous. And those who are not really called to it are stepping away. We've seen it at Calvary Cambridge. We've seen it throughout the world in different churches. And the more dangerous it gets, the more those will drift away. You see, you're not going to go to a church in Iran where it costs you a life. It's a risk to go there. You have to already be dead to go there. You get my point? You have to be dead to self but alive in Those are the people that are going to be preaching the word in power and authority. Today's all about authority. The authority is from above. The authority comes from Christ. And we must walk in that God-given authority because he's given it to us for a reason. He wants us to work for him to draw people to himself, not to ourselves. Essentially, it's a very easy message. It's all about Jesus, and I saw your video before coming here, and you said it's all about Jesus. That's why I'm here, because I love his saints, amen? We are a peculiar people, amen? I know you are, I've met you. (laughs) Christians are peculiar, they're very strange, aren't they? It doesn't matter which country you go to, they are oddballs. And Cambridge has got a lot of oddballs anyway. But we get away from it and uh, get away with it in Cambridge because they're not called odd, they're called eccentric. (laughs) Oh, they're eccentric. So let's be eccentric Christians for Jesus and draw people to the truth. This is essentially what it's about. That we all fall short of the glory of God. But the Lord is calling all men at this time to repent. Repentance is something I'm not hearing in church. To repent is not a decision of emotionalism. It's a decision of my will. Let's not get our feelings too involved. Make a decision. Today I'm following you, Jesus. Today I'm making a fresh start to follow you. Today I'm making that commitment to you. These people here were not going to be committed. Somebody's completely blinded, although they knew the truth. They refused the truth. Because they did not love the truth. Therefore, their way is a way of destruction. But Jesus is saying, keep your eyes on me because I am the authority and I am the author of life and life eternal. He said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Abundant life in Christ. This is where it comes from. And it's by his spirit, not knowledge. Cambridge got fat head of knowledge. Don't worry about knowledge. I often say it takes a PhD to make the Gospels boring, and they can do it. The Gospel is the most exciting book in the world. Amen? But come to Cambridge, they'll make it boring. It's, you need a degree in it. Jesus is the authority. We must keep our eyes on him, who's the author and finisher of our faith. Let's put up in summary here. 
as far as John the Baptist is concerned. I'm the Lamb of God, the parable of the vineyard. I am the heir. The Pharisees, I'm the one who raises up kings and removes kings, Daniel 2.21. The Sadducees, like it or not, I am the resurrection. King David, I am the Messiah. And to the scribes, I am the judge. My question, brothers and sisters, are you under this authority of Jesus? If you're not, get under it today and praise him for that. Because if we're not under his authority, we're under someone else's. There's no neutrality in the world, is there? You see, there's no agnostics when it comes to Jesus. As far as I'm concerned, I don't believe that. Oh, I'm on the fence. Well, the Holy Spirit comes on and electrifies that fence. And which side are you going to fall on? He does do that, doesn't he? He's very powerful. The ministries of the Holy Spirit is something that needs to be learned more and more. The more I see it, the more in love I am with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus, as we see in Matthew 28, verse 18, says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The word nation, there's ethnos, ethnic groups. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the things I taught you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the grace in Jesus. We thank you that he is the author of life. And Lord, he is leading us on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Lord, today, may we recommit to the author. Say, Lord, have your way in us and through us. May we speak your words in power by the authority of the Holy Spirit, Lord. But at the same time, Lord, humbling ourselves before your majesty. May we remove ourselves from our hearts, Lord, the hearts which have become our own little altars, and put you on the rightful place, Lord, on that throne of our hearts, that we may seek thee and serve you in all power. For your name's sake, once again, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen.